You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Domecast. I'm Colin Campbell from the News and Observer. It is our uh, final edition of Domecast prior to the March 15th primaries coming up next Tuesday. Uh, lots and lots of things on the ballot. Of course, the presidential race and a slew of down-ballot contests that will uh, be decided on uh, Tuesday. So lots to talk about, uh, lots of action in this uh, final week uh, before the the big election next week. Looks like we're finally starting to get a lot of TV ads. We're starting to hear from the presidential candidates uh, coming through town in this last week as they turn their attention to North Carolina after all the other states and the the candidate dropouts and all that sort of thing. So uh, we've got a good panel with us here today. I'm going to be joined in a moment by uh, NNO's new uh, PolitiFact reporter, Will Doran, is here. Uh, Also, Taylor Knopf of the News and Observer and Craig Jarvis of the in and O are uh, with us on uh, this edition of Domecast. So we're going to start with Will. Will, you and I were uh, out at the Ted Cruz event uh, on, I guess it was Tuesday, right? Uh, yes, it was uh, It was a beautiful day Tuesday, especially to, uh, you know, be walking to and from the cow pasture where everyone had to park. Yeah, so this is, uh, I guess this is sort of a hallmark of a Ted Cruz event is that he, he does these at churches, which, and they're not necessarily mega churches. Like this was like a Maybe like a, a minorly mega church yeah, or a mega church in in the works of being one, but it wasn't small by any sort of the means. But I think it only held what eight hundred people or eight hundred people like that? or so. Yeah, and uh, so there were were way more people there than could actually get in. So we roll up, we have to park way away in this like field that was probably never intended to be a parking lot, as evidenced by how my wheels handled going through all the the ruts and then there's this huge line of people outside most of them i guess didn't actually get to see get in to see ted cruz but the the whole event i think got delayed because he was i kind of working the line and saying hi to people which i i guess is his way of not alienating voters who drive all this way to see ted cruz and then they can't get into his event yeah that would uh that would definitely have the effect of backfiring if you uh hold a rally and then the vast majority of people who show up and you know drive from all over the state don't even get to see your face so yeah so i, <laughs> I, I think he played that. that well but yeah the, the end result was that he was supposed to have this sit-down interview with uh, megan kelly of fox news uh, she being the famous one who's been criticized by donald trump with some rather vulgar remarks uh, earlier in the campaign cycle and then he after that interview he was supposed to have a rally but the rally ended up uh not happening but uh uh, we were in the room, I guess, with the, the, the media circus of uh, a national presidential campaign, which uh, was a new experience for me. It may have been for you as well. Of, uh, yes, it was. So it was like, <laughs> what do you think, like 20 or 30 reporters were in that little oh, side at least, room? At least, yeah. I, I recorded it, but it was hard to even hear his answers over the clicking of all the camera shutters. And yeah, <laughs> and it's funny because every, every uh, I guess, uh, photographer has to get on a different level. So there's some people who are like crouched down. And then uh, Travis Long, who's one of our photojournalists here at the NNO, was standing on a chair and was, you know, looked like he's in some of the photos I saw of the gaggle, looked like he was about nine feet tall. Uh, and everyone just trying to get as close and, and shout their questions as fast as they could. I mean, I, there's no way I was going to get a, a question in there. I know you weren't really weren't either because we were both I, I didn't even try. It was just, it was like you see in the movies with people just, you know, yelling. and Yeah. So yeah, it really does feel like sort of the, the circus has come to town. And uh, um, certainly a huge amount of enthusiasm for, for Cruz at this event. I thought more so than the, at the Bill Clinton event that I'd gone to the day before when he was in downtown Raleigh stumping for his wife, Hillary Clinton. Um, only a couple hundred people there, plenty of room for more if, if more people had, had shown up to it. Um, although they were a little more organized than the, the Cruz event. Uh, at the Bill Clinton event, there was a very clear media check-in. We were in this sort of fenced-off pen uh, whereas at Cruz, uh, we and I walked in this back door uh, following like a TV cable and, and barely found a guy who could check us in. And when he checked us in, it was like on a 
like a yeah, no one checked our IDs or anything like that. Yeah, so, so you really, I could have talked my way into that <laughs> event, um, but at the same time, it drew way more people. So, I mean, I guess that's something to be said for this more grassrootsy campaign that that Cruz is running in the state versus the more established, uh, formalized uh, Clinton campaign. But yeah, and I'll be definitely interested to see the the respective turnouts of uh, Hillary Clinton in Durham uh, later this afternoon, actually, and yeah. then uh, Bernie Sanders in Raleigh on Friday. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to compare the the two crowds and size and energy level and demographics and all those yeah sort of things. and it's an interesting the venue choice because hillary's going to be at hillside high school in durham which is uh i guess sort of been a historically african-american school so it sort of helps to be part of the the demographic that she's really trying to win over knowing she does better with that demographic than sanders has done in, in other states uh whereas the sanders event is a at memorial auditorium so i guess that's going to be sort of a a more seated affair because I, I don't think you can take all the seats out of memorial for a big yeah, stand-up so. rally <laughs> Uh, so that'll be interesting to see the tone of that. Uh, we'll we'll look forward to seeing Craig Jarvis's report from that uh, on, on Friday afternoon uh, after the Feel the Burn um, machine rolls through town. Uh, and I guess the only one we haven't seen this week is uh, we haven't seen Marco Rubio because I guess he's been focused on Florida and trying not to lose his home state. And then John Kasich, who's in the same boat in Ohio. Um, yeah, I think and looking at the polling numbers, North Carolina is really just a race between Trump and Cruz. Trump is ahead, but Cruz is close. I don't think, at least from some of the polls I've seen, I don't know if you've seen different ones. Um, doesn't really look like Kasich or Rubio have much of a shot. Yeah, I I'm think sure Kasich's come big, up, yeah. but he really, there's still like 10 or 11%, so really not. Yeah, I'm sure he's just banking on winning Ohio at this point and seeing what happens after that. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be the strategy for, for both of them. I went to a Rubio event uh, on, I guess it was Wednesday afternoon, it was just a couple of legislators who were Rubio fans talking about how Trump would be bad on national security, but there really was hardly anyone there. And of course, Rubio himself is, uh, has. I think he was in North Carolina back in January for a relatively small rally, but that was the all we've seen of, of him in this area. Uh, and then you got to listen into the uh, the big Trump rally, the first of the two uh, this week. Yes, that was actually the setting for the um, the inaugural posting from Politifact North Carolina. Yeah. See uh, what I did there with that segue? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent work. Um, yes, uh, Trump was in Concord, um, and he made a, a curious claim about having NASCAR's endorsement that he re- repeated several times, and um, we decided that that was half true. And I say we because um, PolitiFact North Carolina, even though I wrote the article, it's uh, it's a large team of uh, me as well as some editors who, uh, you know, get together on the ratings and decide. Yeah, so you don't get to do the ratings yourself, uh, or at least all by yourself. When you correct. I, I make the recommendation, but I don't have the, the ultimate authority to... Uh, to make the ruling, I suppose, is the, the proper terminology. Yeah. So, so what did you figure out on, on Trump's NASCAR thing? So he's basically saying, NASCAR endorsed me. and then- Right. Well, multiple times he claimed, you know, NASCAR endorsed him. He even, I think, said once that the CEO endorsed him on behalf of NASCAR. The CEO, Brian France, actually said the opposite of that. He said, I am not endorsing on behalf of NASCAR. It's just a personal endorsement. But um, in our research and we go into length on it on the ruling, which you can find at politifact.com slash North Carolina, is that... Mark that page, y'all. <laughs> a lot of good stuff there. <laughs> is that the France family, who's the CEO and his family, own NASCAR, and it's family-owned and operated, and it's just... It's hard to separate the two, even though he says they're separate. Um, and then you add to that the fact that uh, 
also some very well-known drivers, even one Hall of Fame driver, have also come out and yeah. spoken at Trump rallies. Yeah, uh, Mark Trump. Martin was with him when Mark he was Martin, in. Mark Martin, Bill Elliott, yeah. uh, Billy Elliot, Bill Elliott's son, Chase Elliott, who's an up-and-coming driver. So a lot of the, the public faces as well as the, you know, the man behind the company. Um, so we ruled that a, a half-true, that basically, you know, not entirely true, but not necessarily entirely false. Yeah, either. and the Trump campaign, I, I guess you were actually able to reach them, which I was impressed by because it feels like uh, their their press operation is uh, not uh, as active as some others in, in that uh, people like the internet don't necessarily get a reply from them, but you actually did with... Uh, right, yeah, and what I've heard from other PolitiFact reporters is it's kind of hit or miss. Um, th- with mine, I got an email back within, I don't know, five or ten minutes oh, maybe. Wow. Yeah, so that that was impressive, and they, they owned up to the fact that... Uh, you know, he had he had misspoken that they didn't actually have the NASCAR endorsement. But uh, Hope Hicks, the the communications woman, she, uh, you know, she did mention the fact that they did have the CEO and several drivers, which is true. Yeah. And part of the reason why, you know, we said that it's, you know, it's murky. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and for, for Trump to get a half true, that's that's pretty good for him for his PolitiFact scorecard. He's gotten probably, uh, I think, was uh, Bill Adair, the founder of uh, PolitiFact, who was on our podcast last week, uh, said something to the effect of that, that he's had more pants on fire ratings from PolitiFact than almost anybody else that they've been routinely fact checking. I believe that's true. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, uh, are, are you going to be continuing to, to fact check some of the Trump stuff, or I guess he's probably done in North Carolina now for at least him being here in person. Yeah, uh, probably. He also had an event in uh, in Fayetteville yesterday as well. Um, that was more notable for some of the issues with the protesters during the rally, more so than the actual substance of his speech, um, as I'm sure lots of people have seen the headlines and the videos of, you know, protesters being thrown out, the one protester being punched in the face, all sorts of, you know, visual... Yeah, there's videos of that at uh, newsobserver.com if you really enjoy watching people get punched in the face on a grainy cell phone video. But uh, it's it's pretty clear what's what's going on at, the, at that rally last night and some sort of disturbing images out of it. But uh, at any rate, with uh, with PolitiFact, as you continue your, your fact-checking, uh, out of all the factual statements that are made in such a wacky election year as this, uh, do you have sort of a, a, a strategy in mind for how you figure out what what do you really dig into versus what do you kind of let slide knowing that there's only one of you and a lot of facts that could be checked? Well, really, the, the key is to first figure out what you're not going to fact check. We don't look at opinions. We don't look at predictions. We don't look at, you know, things that aren't factual statements. And then so once you narrow it down to that, which we've seen in this presidential election, there are a lot of opinions and predictions and things like that being thrown out, you know, with or without basis, that's another question. But we try to just focus purely on the facts. And for that, really, I just try and find stuff that piques my interest, that I look at it and say, huh, I wonder if that's true. Or I've never heard of that before. You, you know, something that, that makes you think and makes you wonder, and that's what makes it a fun job for me. It's, it's enjoyable because I get to learn something, and hopefully, you know, other people learn something whenever they read our articles. So... That's the goal. All right. Will Doran, our new uh, PolitiFact fact checker, um, who will be joined, I guess, sometimes by the rest of us on, on staff here with a few fact checks, but most of them you'll be reading him. And uh, where's the best place to keep up with PolitiFact? And so you guys have a, a special Twitter account for that now, right? Yes. Um, it is just at PolitiFactNC. And like I said, if uh, if you go to uh, 
politifact.com slash North Carolina or just the uh, the main PolitiFact site, there's actually a drop down menu where you can see all the different states. So if you're interested in politicians from Georgia or Texas or Florida, they're all there. Yeah. And uh, certainly we, we welcome uh, people pointing out facts that they'd like to see us check. Yes, so send uh, them our way. Send yeah. us all your facts. Yeah. I think the, the easiest way to get us all is, uh, is dome at newsobserver.com if you want to shoot us an email about that or, or any other topic. But uh, definitely if you see something you're like, is that true? Then, you know, maybe you can talk Will into uh, researching and uh, coming up with a rating for you. You just might. Yep. All right. Thanks, Will. And we'll Thank be you. back in uh, just a moment with uh, some more chatter about the uh, upcoming primary and some of the races that maybe haven't gotten as much attention. So stay with us. We all want to be recognized because sometimes we want our voices heard. And we want to recognize you when you come to make your voice heard at the voting booth. This election, you'll be asked to show a photo ID at the polls. And if for some reason you can't get one, no worries. You'll still be able to vote. Just come to the polls and we'll help you cast your ballot. This election, be recognized, because every voice matters. For information or help getting a free ID, visit voterid.nc.gov. And welcome back to Domecast, the uh, pre-primary edition here as we uh, go up to the uh, big day of March 15th and the uh, voting in so many different races here in North Carolina. I'm Colin Campbell from the News and Observer, and uh, we want to take a moment now to talk about one of the races, some of the races that you've uh, heard a lot less about um, in the news over the past couple of uh, weeks and months, the uh, legislative races that are going to a primary and uh, probably a fairly decisive primary. Taylor Knopf of the News and Observer is uh, joining me now, and she's uh, covered a few of these. So, uh, Taylor, what are the, the big races to watch in terms of uh, legislative primaries where uh, gerrymandering is probably going to result in uh, one party uh, keeping the seat and and therefore deciding who their next uh, representative is going to be via the primary. Well, I think two really interesting seats are uh, that of Senator Josh Steins and Senator Buck Newton. Both are running for the attorney general so that they're vacating their seats. Um, Buck Newton is uh, currently representing Johnston Wilson in Nash counties. And so there are two Republicans vying for his seat. And it's likely that one of them will be the next state senator because there's a Democrat running, but that yeah, is Yeah, it's a not. fairly right-leaning seat if you right. look at their, their overall their history. Um, like voting histories. Yeah. Right, exactly. So these two candidates are interesting in that one is very young. Um, his name is Ben Sari of Clayton, and he's only 29. And then Richard Horner of Wilson is 58. So two very opposite demographics. Um, but both men have really focused on education as their push. Um, one's a lawyer and another um, has worked in um, a number of capacities, but he's had a seat on the education board out there. So two very different candidates, and it'll be interesting to see if they'll go with the younger guy or... Yeah, and I guess it's sort of a a geographical split, too, because uh, Sari's from Johnston County, which encompasses right. a good bit of the district, and then it's got Wilson yeah. and Nash, where uh, Horner, I guess, is, is sort of... He's from Nash Wilson. County, or Wilson County? Okay. Yeah, he's from Wilson, so he's out there, and then um, Sari, has, he's in Clayton now, but he's a lot of family in Smithfield, and he's a lawyer in Smithfield, so two different um, geographical places. So, yeah, and it's that sort of experience versus the new guy thing. Is one guy has been right. elected. Sorry, I guess, is this would be his first um, run at an elected office, right? Exactly. So, But he's hoping that some of his um, his education and past work on a couple boards will help him out. So, Yeah, and certainly the, the legal background, if he's taking Buck Newton's seat, might, might be 
crucial. Buck Newton, obviously the, the judiciary chairman and uh, some other similar uh, committees. Uh, so that'll be sort of institutional knowledge lost at the legislature when he either uh, moves up to AG or not, depending on, on how he fares in, in both the primary and uh, the general election if he if he wins the primary against his uh, Republican opponent. Uh, so it should be an interesting race to watch uh, down there in, in Johnston, Wilson, and, and Nash counties. Right, right. We'll expect to see a new state senator out of that area. Yeah. And then on the Democratic side, we've got another right. uh, race that will probably most likely decide the uh, the overall uh, future of a seat. Exactly. So Josh Stein is also um, running for the attorney general seat. And so Ellis Hankins and Jay Chandry are running for that seat, both Democrats out of Raleigh. Um, Jay has had a long history of different ties to state government. He has very good portfolio. And then Ellis Hankins worked. Um, she was with the, uh, one of the educators groups. I forget get which one, but one of the sort of the state associations that uh, works for teachers, if memory serves. Right. Right. And his yeah. main platform is that he is running for education. You may see his signs out on the sides of the roads, and um, that's his top priority. So so those two are both vying for that seat, and um, that race has been heating up. It's also been um, labeled as one of the more um, expensive legislative legislative primary challenges. Yeah, so. I think when I glanced at the numbers, it was something like they were they're both spending six figures. Um, oh, yeah. And they're they're pretty much neck and neck in fundraising. So there's not like there's one guy who's the underfunded candidate and looking to pull off an upset. They're really kind of evenly matched from at least right. a money standpoint. Yes, they are. So and, and they're using that. So Jay has uh, already put out a couple mailer ads that you may have seen. One of them that we picked up on and got a little bit of attention was that he was claiming that Ellis Hankins was um, or had contributed to some Republicans in the past. And uh, we found out that is actually true. Hankins confirmed that back in the 90s, he said his employer asked him to give small contributions to some Republicans because it was a time at which the state house had just been taken over by Republicans again. And they were both Democrats and they wanted to have some good. Yeah, I guess if you're doing lobbying, money. it's kind of key to make sure you're supporting whichever party's in right. power, particularly if there's a moment of turnover. And you probably see a lot of that uh, around 2010 when the legislature kicked over from Democrats to Republicans, where the lobbyists still need to be in with the in crowd. Right, right. So basically, I mean, Ellis didn't talk too much about it, but it kind of sounded like he thought that was a cheap shot because he gave very small donations back in the 90s and since then has only given to Democrats. And uh, he is claiming that he's running a very clean campaign, no negative attack yeah, ads. Yeah, he it, said something like they had a gentleman's agreement, they wouldn't yes, go negative. right. Um, and he's considering this, you know, going negative on Jay's part, so... Yeah, and I guess that mailer sort of, when I saw it, focused heavily on Virginia Fox, who's now known as a very conservative uh, member of Congress. But back when this donation happened, I guess she was still in the state legislature and not terribly well-known at that point. Right. So, yeah, he gave a very small donation to Virginia back in the day. And the funny thing was on uh, Ellis's website, he confirmed that he had given those donations. And he also said, oh, Jay, you forgot one. I also gave to Art Pope, which is kind of a big deal. Yeah, so. it makes you wonder if he wasn't just trying to sort of preempt uh, some later campaign ads, like just in case they had another mailer going, right. it was going to say, this guy is Art Pope's puppet because he had given money to Art Pope at some right. point in the past. Right, exactly. So those are both, uh, I would say, two very interesting primary races to watch. And they're probably going to be... Um, 
whoever wins the primary will probably be the next yeah, senator. Yeah, there are opposing party, I guess, candidates in both of those races, but right. uh, they'll they'll fight a pretty uphill battle, uh, and, and it would yeah. be kind of a long shot for them to win, not based on the strength of their candidacy, but just based on the, the demographics of those districts. I mean, they're drawn to favor, to pack certain members of one party in there and, and sort of ensure who gets that seat. Uh, right. Stein's coming from Raleigh, and Raleigh is a very typically gone Democrat. So Yeah, I think the uh, the Republican that ran in that district, uh, Molotov Mitchell, who was a, a very colorful candidate I got to write about uh, back in, in 2014, I think he pulled about 20 or 30 percent in, in that race. So And that was after having a fairly high-profile campaign. So it is a, it's a tough district for a, a Republican to win. I don't know how you remember all that, Colin. But. Yeah, well, when you write about someone named Molotov Mitchell, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to, to forget... Um, sort of a little bit about their campaign <laughs> anyway uh thanks so much taylor for uh joining us this week and thank uh, you other races to watch uh, i would recommend going back and reading uh, uh ben brown's uh, one of his final pieces before he departed uh in under the dome i guess it was last weekend about some of the other uh, other uh primaries among legislative folks around the state and uh some republican primaries where uh, members of sort of the Republican leadership like Nelson Dollar and uh, David Lewis are, are facing uh, primary opponents who are, are labeling them as, as not far enough to the right and uh, trying to, to knock them out of office. So uh, interesting read there. But uh, since Ben's no longer with us, I can't bring him on the show to uh, t- talk about it. So you'll just have to read the profile for yourself. Uh, we're going to turn next to Craig Jarvis of the News and Observer, who has been also covering elections this week, but uh, stuff a little bit further out on the horizon. You've been looking at the governor's race, right, Craig? And not a whole lot of that action seems to be uh, aimed at the the primary on either the Republican or Democratic side. Yeah, it's really, uh, I guess we saw the first signs of life in the, uh, the anticipated frontrunner uh, races, uh, incumbent Governor Pat McCrory and his likely challenger, uh, Attorney General Roy Cooper. Uh, Cooper had his first press conference, his first official campaign press conference. Says said he's going to roll out several based on different issues. The first one he chose was education because that's such a, a hot-button uh, issue right now. I think the Democrats think that uh, the governor is vulnerable on that. So he rolled out an education plan that uh, called for increasing teacher pay, uh, free community college tuition, a bunch of other things, funding, you know, pre-kindergarten, uh, establishing a, uh, a, a student loan refinancing authority, uh, just a number of, uh, a number of programs. And so the natural question from the reporters was, well, how are you going to pay for all this? And he didn't really have specifics other than to say he wants to be bipartisan, work things out with the legislature if he's elected. And, uh, um, other than stopping his, other than than stopping the, uh, I guess there's some step um, corporate income tax cuts that are in process in progress now. I guess yeah, that they're triggered to go into effect in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. So he would stop that and divert that money to generally what he says, you know, the middle class and education. So um, he said he's not talking about a tax increase. Uh, he just said you, know, you can have a balanced budget uh, and good public education at the same time. So, um, you know, we'll we'll see uh, that that same night. This was Tuesday, I guess. That same night, the governor was at the Wake County GOP convention, and he didn't mention Cooper by name, but he but he had a little different tack to his his uh, stump speech that night, which was that we're already starting to hear uh, promises that can't be paid for and 
my advice to you is grab your wallet because you know everybody's going to have a lot of free ideas that aren't really free. Yeah, it was interesting to see the I guess the I don't figure it was the McCrory camp or just the the NC Republican Party responding to uh, Cooper's plans there. It seemed to be to, the immediate response was to tie him to both Bernie Sanders and to Bev Perdue, uh, who I guess had a similar education plan way back in in two thousand eight. Yeah, and I think that's just that standard tactic. You start, you know, tagging everybody from Obama on down, uh, regardless of how little they have had or might have to do with those. Yeah, uh, and I think it's worth stressing. I mean, they they pointed out that the free tuition thing sounded like a a Bernie Sanders thing, but I guess the difference is Cooper's saying free community college tuition. Sanders is saying free tuition across the board. Right, and I guess Purdue's was limited to community college as well. Um, But... You know, that's that's kind of what the campaign trail and the governor's race is shaping up to be so far. Yeah. McCrory is out there constantly promoting the bonds. And uh, as you were asking about earlier today, you know, at what point is he campaigning? At what point is he just doing state's business? Yeah, because he's been really all over the state. And it seems like at least several times a week he's, he's out somewhere uh, promoting this bond referendum and uh, doing that sort of in his mantle as the governor as opposed to being the, the Pat McCrory re-election campaign. Right. But it certainly helps him. Yeah, to, to look like that. And he's, I guess he likes to portray himself as an Eisenhower Republican right. who's working on yeah. infrastructure and sort of planning for the future, that yeah. sort of thing. So this sort of helps that uh, image of, of the governor as he goes into re-election mode. Yeah. And speaking of the bonds, I think there is some concern now that this could be a closer election than, than initially thought. I think it was originally considered a, not a slam dunk but a pretty good uh, a pretty good deal a pretty good idea likelihood that it would pass with the bipartisan team you know and they've hired staff to put it together and everybody who's anybody from uh, you know in in state government in business and education has uh, been behind it but but uh, people aren't that anxious to borrow and if there's a strong uh, republican presidential turnout um, you know they might uh, yeah, I saw Civitas had pulled it, and it, it looked like the bond was still uh, winning in the Civitas poll, but it was only uh, 15 or 20 points. I think so. I think that's spread. right. Yeah. Which I was a little surprised around. It's, it seems like it's closing, even though I don't think it's been polled before. But. Yeah, and the challenge with all these polls that we're seeing in, in anything other than the presidential race is that there's a huge number of undecided voters in, in these polls, and we don't know which way they're going to break when they actually set foot in the voting booth and start filling out the ballot. Yeah. Yeah. And then we also we saw, I guess, this week on the, the fundraising front, uh, the, the latest round. It's only really two uh, months worth of numbers for all these campaigns, but uh, another bad uh, cycle for, for Pat McCrory uh, in comparison to Roy Cooper, at least. Yeah. Cooper's uh, led for the last three reporting periods. And I was kind of taking a little a closer look at the numbers. And uh, so, uh, of course, it's common sense, but I had to kind of had forgotten that this this all started practically the day McCrory took office in terms of this election cycle. And together, since then, they've raised uh, $13 million. For Cooper, that's $7.6 million. McCrory, it's $5.4 million. So he's, uh, you know, he's trailing. Uh, so, you know, so it's interesting to see what that might, what that might end up being. It, it strikes me that the uh, 2014 Senate race between Hagen and Tillis, which became the most expensive campaign in the country that year, 
because of outside funding, that that ended up at something like eighty million dollars being spent. So we're at thirteen million now. I don't. We haven't heard anything from these outside groups. I don't yeah, know what so might be waiting for summer yeah. or fall to arrive. I think and, so. And, and then maybe it won't matter that maybe. you know McCrory's behind. But yeah. meantime, it uh, certainly actually the Democrats are trying to make hay of this and, and make the governor look like he's a, a weak candidate. Whereas, uh, are, are we hearing much from the, the McCrory camp about sort of how they're they're spinning these numbers? Oh, they're just saying they're happy with the numbers. You know, it's a long way off to the election. And, and these are these show uh, strong support across, across the state. And right now, the, the Democrats have the numbers on their side. They were able to say that uh, 80% of Cooper's contributors uh, came from came in contributions of $100 or less. So that, you know, suggests some kind of groundswell. But, uh, you know, how these things play out uh, remains to be seen. So Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens and probably not terribly much excitement in the, the governor's primary next week with both uh, Cooper and McCrory well up over their challengers. But uh, once that's past them, uh, the, the guns will probably come out even more and we'll, we're hearing more from both the major candidates. I think so, as well as the super PACs and the national parties and everybody else, people, forces we have not yet dreamed of. Yeah, it'll, it'll be an exciting race for sure as we get a little bit closer to November. Thanks, Craig. And we will return in just a moment with our final segment, Headliners of the Week. Stay tuned. Today, my new dad threw a barbecue. I burnt everything. Ah! And then we played catch. I broke Mr. Lewis's window. And then, somehow, my hand. My hand! And then my dad even let me drive his car. The hospital's on the right! It was a rough day. It was a great day. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of kids in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. And welcome back to the Domecast pre-primary edition. I'm Colin Campbell of the News and Observer. And now it's time for everyone's favorite segment of the podcast. Take it away, MC Curlis. Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Headliner of the week. And joining us for the Headliner of the Week panel, we've got uh, three NNO journalists, uh, Craig Jarvis, Taylor Knopf, and Will Doran are... Uh, going to each be nominating their pick for who they think should be the headliner of the week. And as always, uh, I, as the person in the hosting seat, will uh, then select who uh, seems to merit the honor this week. So starting off with uh, Craig Jarvis. Craig, who's your headliner of the week? My pick is Dr. Randall Williams, Deputy, Deputy Secretary of Health Services for the state. He announced this week that the state would be lifting do not drink notices for several hundred w- uh, private drinking wells located near Duke uh, coal ash basins. Uh, there's been a lot of concern that the, while these basins are leaking, it's concerned that they might be, you know, bringing toxic material into some of these, uh, into some of these wells. And the state admitted basically they were <clears throat> perhaps overly cautious, but it's been for the last year, Duke's Energy's had to provide bottled water for a lot of these people. They finally determined these levels of these two particular substances were not uh, at such a high level that they really had to worry about it, that that level is pretty much prevalent everywhere across the country. Um, so they're lifting those notices. Good news for some of those people, except those who just aren't going to believe anything the government says at this point, uh, whether it's Duke Energy or the Health Department or the Environmental Department. Yeah, I imagine with a lot of the Flint water, Michigan water yeah. issues, people are even more skeptical it's of exactly. government telling them that their water is clean. Yep, it definitely ratcheted up the paranoia level. All right, Craig. Well, Dr. Randall Williams is uh, a potential nominee for Headliner of the Week. Uh, we're going to turn next to Will Doran from the NNO. Will, who's your Headliner of the Week? Your, your first effort at, uh, at naming one. Who you got? 
Yes, my headliner is body cams. So probably more of a what than a who, but... <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm breaking all the rules in my first Domecast. That's but... okay. I've been breaking them for months. But yes, um, uh, body cams have been in the news um, both locally and statewide. Um, the... Uh, you know the the Raleigh City Council was set to talk about them, and actually on the same day that there was a police shooting that ended up pushing that discussion back. And um, but now there's also news that uh, the legislature is you know going to study the issue more. And I think it's a really just fascinating topic. There's a lot of uh, concerns um, you know about privacy, but also you know a lot of reasons. Uh, that people support them for transparency and it's kind of a you know push and a pull between those two i saw uh, earlier this week uh elon university poll came out and found that there was close to 91 percent of north carolinians in support so public opinion is there if you just look at that one poll um and uh but it'll be interesting to see what the what the legislature says and what they decide to do. About yeah. It. So yeah, I went to the committee meeting yesterday, and um, there seemed to be sort of a difference of opinion between the ACLU, which favors the state coming up with the guidelines, saying how the image will be stored, saying what the public records access should be, uh, how police officers individually should handle them, versus the sheriffs' association. I think to some extent the police of police chiefs' association wanted it all to be developed at the local level, so that each city, each police department would have some discretion to figure out how they want to handle it and what rules they want to put into place. So we'll we'll see how that pans out and how many uh, police departments adopt that. So Will Doran entering uh, body cams into the mix for uh, headliners of the week this week. And last but not least, we're going to turn to Taylor Knopf. Uh, Taylor, who's your headliner of the week? My headliner of the week is Raleigh Mayor Nancy McFarlane. Uh, she gave her State of the City address on Monday, which really focused on strengthening ties with Southeast Raleigh, which is as Will just mentioned, the area that had a police-involved shooting last week. Um, I think she and the the police chief and just that whole community, their leaders in that community, are really, um, they deserve a congratulations and just for how they've kept together these past this past week and dealing with that. Um, we didn't have any sort of major rioting as we could have, and I think they all um, deserve a thanks for just staying strong and kind of being good leaders during that time. Yeah, it seems like it's uh, they've been willing to sort of create the community conversation around what can be done to address any any concerns, issues surrounding this whole incident, regardless of what facts end up coming out of the investigation into uh, who who did what uh, in, in this uh, tragic encounter. But uh, yeah, it's, it's it's good to see Nancy McFarland sort of hitting her stride with that. I know her State of the City uh, speeches have been kind of uh, not the most newsworthy affairs in, in past years. I've, I covered a number of them as a City Hall reporter a few years ago, and it's always been sort of a litany of, uh, here's the top 10 list that Raleigh's landed on, here are the great things that we've done this year and for her to sort of uh, change that tone this year to, to address this and, and try to uh, aid in the, the healing process and, and bringing the community together around that uh, certainly is a, a good step for her as mayor. Uh, so Nancy McFarland, uh, Taylor's Choice for Headliner of the Week. And um, if if my little diatribe there wasn't clue enough, I think I'm going to go with Nancy McFarland um, as this week's uh, headliner. I think the first time she's been thrown into contention, we don't get that much into uh, local politics here on Domecast, but there's uh, no reason not to, especially on an issue that uh, certainly speaks to a, a more major uh, national concern and, and topic of conversation over the past uh, months and years. So uh, Nancy McFarland is this week's Headliners of the Week, and that brings us to the end of uh, this this week's edition of Domecast. 
I'm Colin Campbell. Thanks so much for hanging out with us this week, and uh, be sure to tune in again next week. Uh, we'll be joining you after the primary. May even put out a uh, issue a episode of Domecast a day or two early uh, to sort of go over the takeaways from uh, next week's primary and, and who won and who didn't and what it all means uh, going into the general election. So uh, be sure to join us next week, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.